Way up high, near the ceiling of most theaters, many theaters, there's a series of metal catwalks. And those are meant so that you can get to the lights and the electronics and everything. They're very narrow metal grates, and they're not particularly safe. So of course, when I was 16 and away at a theater summer program, I took advantage of an unlocked window in the light booth in the back of the theater to go up on the catwalks. So I was thrilled with this new view of the space. I was maybe 50 feet above where you are now. And I walked quickly and silently because I didn't want anyone to hear me. But what I didn't know at the time is also in most theaters that have catwalks, the catwalks in the house where you're sitting and the catwalks backstage are separated by a large break so that the curtain can come across. So as I walked quickly, silently, I suddenly stepped out into nothing, darkness, emptiness. Friday the 13th, March 2020, I was sitting in the atrium of the Health Sciences Education Building. If you know the Health Sciences Building up there, I teach here, I teach at the U, Health Sciences, mostly medical students. I was sitting with a bunch of my colleagues, also teachers. It's a very strange time to be in healthcare. It's a very strange time to be in healthcare education. Here I am. If you know the atrium, you know that the space is four stories high of glass and there's a big glass ceiling and it's meant to be a space full of light and air. But what my friends and I felt was something enormous pressing down on us because we had just heard that we would be teaching medical school online. We would be teaching medical school online on Monday. We would be teaching medical school online and that had to happen over the weekend. So we knew something big, something important was coming, but of course we didn't know what. But we stepped out into nothing, darkness, emptiness. And we wouldn't return to that building, that atrium, for more than a year. Right away I came, became kind of an air traffic controller. I gathered all the electronics I could, my laptop, my old laptop, my monitor, my old monitor, my phone, my old phone, and I moved from my office up in the School of Medicine in the basement to the basement of my house, where at least I had a window. Um, and I gathered all my screens around me. Immediately, I came up with some kind of Zoom personas. So, teacher on Zoom, colleague on Zoom, parent on Zoom. As a teacher, when I was teaching on Zoom, I went for very calm and professional, at the shoulders and the head, right, the little box. Meanwhile, my fingers were madly going across keyboards. I was making sure PowerPoint slides were going, that guest speakers were speaking, that faculty and students were talking to each other. And then below those frantic hands were my legs, which were in pajamas, because I learned really early on that all you have to do is throw a scarf and a necklace over your pajamas or your sweats, and you look just fine to teach on Zoom. So as a colleague on Zoom, and I have to say it's really hard to be an extrovert during a pandemic, I kind of turned into a class clown. So in every meeting, I would put jokes and disruptive comments in the chat. I would use the filters, you know, for comedic effect. In one meeting, I performed a pandemic parody that I had written of I Dreamed a Dream from Les Miserables. 
And to be clear, that was not my task for that meeting. <laughs> Nobody wanted that. When I was Zooming, I was also parenting, and when I was parenting, I was also Zooming. So I became expert at blocking the 65-pound child who was coming at me hard while I was trying to have a conversation. And I could do that without missing a beat. Except when I did miss a beat and the 65-pound child crashed into my lap and the conversation went on anyway. I mean, everybody had a child or a dog or a cat or a Peloton in their screen, too. So many of us were living our lives, doing our jobs, inside our screens, inside our houses. Maybe this is what happened to you. Nothing, really. Maybe you're thinking, Gretchen, nothing really happened to you. I'm a historian by training, and so when something big, something historic, something momentous happens, I want to know the stories. I ask people for their stories. I want to know what's happening out there on the front lines, in the hospital, in the clinic, in the streets. And so I asked people for their stories. And so in many of these Zoom meetings, I ended up listening to death and suffering. I recorded some of them for posterity with permission and others would just well up, crashing into another conversation. I listened to death and suffering all day and replayed it in my head all night. I was spared the worst. I was never in the room with death. I was left with the worst. I was never in the room. I offered witness and comfort and condolences, but it was always distant, remote, because I was always on the other side of a screen on the other end of a signal. I was never in the room. So I spent my days listening to death and suffering, and then I heard people who didn't believe, maybe because they weren't in the room, who didn't offer condolences, who didn't offer witness. And I wondered, maybe this isn't real. I mean, there's lots of other things going on, and the sun is shining, and the rain and snow are falling, and the plants are cycling through their seasons, the children are growing, and certainly the news was full of lots of other things, lots of other things. My friend Donna calls it the divine reset of 2020. So maybe none of this was happening. There was nothing to witness. For months and months, I went to sleep with tears in my eyes, and I woke up with tears in my eyes, and I dreamed of an escape. And every time I woke up back to whatever this was, wondering if it was real. Most of those deaths that I heard about weren't mine. They were someone else's story. But some of them were mine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Eight of my people dead. There were no funerals. One Zoom memorial. In the midst of this nothing, darkness, emptiness, I still can't see the holes that they left. When the vaccines arrived, I was first one in line. As soon as I was eligible, I got an appointment. And then I reacted badly to the vaccine and ended up in the emergency room, emergency department. So then I worked with my doctors because I was darn sure going to get vaccinated, and we tried again. And I, I was worried then about, was the virus or the vaccine going to make me sicker? And I joked about this with the nurses and the EMTs who were watching me like hawks, like bored, exhausted hawks, as I tried to get the vaccine again. 
And I still don't really know what my immune system's up to. Am I fully vaccinated? Am I high risk? Am I just weird? So I just keep waiting and watching and testing. Two years in now, and I haven't tested positive yet. Nothing. A whole lot of nothing has happened to a whole lot of us. Nothing is not nothing. If you've ever jumped or fallen from a significant height, you know there's this ridiculous moment in the middle where you're kind of trying to claw yourself back up to where you jumped from. Or maybe you're more dignified than I am, but I basically turn into a cartoon character and my arms and legs are going full speed as I fall into the water or whatever is saving me below. But in those moments, I don't scream like some people do. I'm silent. My lungs are the only things that are still. There's this moment of transformation. It's thrilling, terrifying, suspension. I know it's going to end, but I lose the ability to count the seconds as I flail downwards. Along with many of my friends, I've publicly counted the days of this pandemic. It's a way of cheering ourselves on. This is day 741. 741 days since Friday the 13th, March 2020. But privately, I count the hours. It seems more reasonable when I'm dealing with so much nothing, darkness, emptiness. Maybe the next hour will hold something, anything. Maybe I can hold on for one more hour. Maybe emptiness has edges. Maybe I can catch one and pull myself back up. Back in that long ago theater, somehow my hands were still on the rails of the catwalk. And I gripped on hard and I pulled back and I caught my toe on the edge of the grate. And I dragged myself back up to the catwalk. I stood up, turned around, walked back to the light booth, climbed through the window, and left the theater. I hadn't made a sound the entire time. It was a long time before I talked about that moment because, first of all, I knew I would get in really big trouble, um, but also because I wasn't sure if it had happened or what had happened. Nothing happened. It was nothing. It wasn't nothing.